Thank you, band, for leading us into God's presence through the ministry of music. Amen. I have a question for you today, for you to ponder. Get the uh, creative juices going here. And that question is this. What kind of person makes you uncomfortable? What kind of person makes you uncomfortable? For some of you, it might be the preacher who stares at you for lengthy periods of time. But I'm really talking more about these kinds of things. Uh, If you're more of a blue-collar type person, maybe it's the white-collar type person that makes you uncomfortable, and vice versa. Or if you're a rich person, maybe a poor person, and of course, vice versa. Or maybe you're more of a book-smart kind of a person. And, and book smart people might be a little intimidated by street smart folk and uh, the other way around as well. Or maybe you're the extrovert and it's that introvert sitting across the table for you, not saying anything, and it's making you uncomfortable. And so what do extroverts do when we're uncomfortable? We just keep talking, don't we? Or maybe you're the introvert sitting on the other side of the table and that extrovert just won't shut up. And you're sitting there judging them silently and quietly, and you know, you're uncomfortable, they're uncomfortable. What kind of person makes you uncomfortable? If you're a Republican, it might be a Democrat. If you're of one race, it might be somebody of a different race. Perhaps it's someone of a different socioeconomic status, somebody who even lives on a different side of town than you. What kind of person makes you uncomfortable? You know, we tend to gravitate toward people like us. It's just easier, isn't it? If somebody is like us, then we just have more to talk about. There's more to relate to. If, if you work in the same field I do, we can talk about our work. If you cheer for the same team I do, we can talk about how the team did. If, uh, if, if you live in the same area, we can talk about those kinds of things. It's just natural and easy to kind of group ourselves with, with those who are a lot like us. It's the most comfortable. And when we find ourselves interacting with people who are significantly different than us, then a lot of times it takes extra energy. We have to work harder in those kinds of conversations. In our story today, a leading Pharisee invites Jesus to his house on the Sabbath. Now, last week we looked at how Jesus heals a woman on the Sabbath. Jesus is always looking for people to heal on the Sabbath, and this day is no exception. En route to this Pharisee's house, there is a man there with a condition called dropsy. And dropsy is a symptom whereby one retains water in their body, and yet at the same time, they are always thirsty. So they're full of fluids, and they're continuing to put fluids in their body. They're insatiable. They can never get enough. They can never be satisfied. So Jesus heals this man of dropsy on the Sabbath and then continues on to this Pharisee's house. And he notices as they are gathering there that the people who are gathered at the house are kind of jockeying for positions along the table. For the table is symbolic and represents a type of 
pecking order in society, if you will. And this was a leader of the Pharisees. So the Pharisees enjoyed a certain status in society. And Jesus kind of rails on them throughout the book of Luke for using that status in ways that are not consistent with the kingdom of God. But Jesus notices how they are working hard to sit at the head of the table. I think that table is a really good metaphor for us today. We live in a world where there is a really long table. And along that table are, at one end, people who are more important by the standards of the world. And it goes all the way down to the people by the standards of our world who might be deemed less important. There are several worldly measuring sticks that show where each of us are on this table. How much you are worth. What your value is. Consider the ways that we in our world find ourselves tempted to measure ourselves up against other people. We may be tempted to measure ourselves and our worth based upon our wealth. How much financial wealth we have. Maybe it's our possessions, the car we drive, the house we live in, the size of that house, the value of that house, the location of that house. Or maybe it's the clothes we wear, the purse that you have. Our society knows that it can appeal to us on any of these levels. You are somebody if you have this, if you wear this, if you drive this, if you live in this. Maybe... Uh, the way that you find yourself on the table is through popularity. Maybe, maybe you're willing to, to be the class clown to move up the table. Or maybe, you know, there's a lot of college students right now who are drinking alcohol primarily so they can fit in at the table. Is it not true? Maybe move up the table. Maybe be that person who fits in and even moves up. Some of us like to use our social connections, those who we know. Man, if I can only get a, a selfie with Jarrett Culver who is in town then that, and post that on my Instagram page, then, then I will move up a few notches. I didn't get to do that, by the way. Perhaps it's your education or your knowledge. You know, I graduated from XYZ. I have these letters after my name. Our society honors that. Sometimes that's a good thing, but sometimes we use that to position ourselves. And I think one of the biggest ones is performance. How we perform in life. How you perform at school, how you perform in sports, how you perform in your job. We live in a performance-oriented world, and the better we perform, the more we get to move up the table based on the standards of the world that we live in. Many of us in our world are just trying to move up that table or at least hold our spot so we don't get moved down. Do you feel that? Do you see that in society around you? Do you see that in your life in any way? Our culture is tempted to spend a lot of life energy in the forms of money and time and thought and effort to 
to claw our way toward that end of importance and worth and value. Now, there is nothing inherently wrong with being important in the eyes of the world. But if you measure your worth and value by the standards of this world, if that is who you think you really are, and if that's how we raise our children and grandchildren to think who they really are, then our sense of value is like that man with dropsy that Jesus healed. It doesn't matter how much success you get. It doesn't matter how much status you get. It's never enough. We become people with that insatiable thirst who need to be healed. It's a disordered desire. And so what are some of the side effects of this insatiable disease in our world as we ponder the table of the world? Well, one is never fear of never measuring up. The other day I read that wealthy students demonstrate higher rates of drug and alcohol abuse than poor students do. They suffer depression and anxiety at rates as much as triple of those their age peers. In a recent study, the Silicon Valley high school students, and Silicon Valley has some of the wealthiest, 54% displayed moderate to severe symptoms of depression, and 80% displayed moderate to severe symptoms of of anxiety the fear of not measuring up to the standards of society can be crippling another side effect of this insatiable disease is debt how many people are going into massive financial debt in order to have that house that car those clothes whatever symbols say i am valuable i am important I matter, and it looks really good on the outside, but they're putting themselves in financial peril to do it. Those kinds of realities don't last forever. How much of our life energy is wasted on, on the values of our consumer-driven world, the value of, of what we get when we perform well? Another side effect is also the danger of not having any real relationships. If your life is concerned with moving up the table, then other people are nothing but means to the end of you getting where you need to be. It's hard to love somebody for who they are when we need to have them in our life to make ourselves look better. And then perhaps the biggest one, is when we're so concerned by the table that measures people by the standards of this world is that we miss out on God's will for our life. To be so consumed with measuring up that we don't even have a sense of what God wants us to do. And it just might be possible that freedom comes when we throw away the world's way of measuring things and we learn to measure ourselves with Jesus's measuring stick but if we're always jockeying in our own hearts and minds we may lose Jesus's measuring stick
You know, I can imagine Jesus telling this parable from the other end of a long table. The, the leading Pharisee is at one end. Everybody's kind of trying to figure out where they belong. Maybe they can, you know, squeeze up a half a seat, uh, try to improve their social status. I could see Jesus just coming over to this end and looking down the table and staring at everybody as they're trying to find their place. Sitting down here with the, the folks who are just glad to be invited to the place, invited to the party. And I can see Jesus looking at him and saying, look, don't, don't take the high position. When you're invited, don't, take, don't try to make yourself look good. Take the humble position. Take the low position. For if you humble yourself, God will raise you up. And then he turns to the host. And he looks at him across that table. And he says, when you invite someone to a wedding banquet, don't just invite your friends and your rich neighbors who will all pay you back. Instead, invite those who could never pay you back in this life. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus is on a journey. About ten chapters in Luke. And it's a journey toward Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is not merely a geographical location. Jerusalem is death. Jesus knows he is going to Jerusalem and he is not getting out of there alive. He knows he's going to be handed over by the same kinds of people that are at this table that he's with. He knows he's going to die and he knows it's not going to be easy. He's carrying the very mission of God on his back and there is a collision course. Jesus who embodies the true mission of God with the establishment that is stopping and restricting the mission of God. And Jesus knows that the time will come when there will be a collision. And so in the meantime, he is getting every bit of teaching about the kingdom of God out in all its intensity. And that mission has to do with God's kingdom. God's order of things, God's order of things that are often at odds with how we tend to think of things in our world. He's painting this picture of another kind of a world with other values. You know, sometimes in our staff circles or in conversations with leaders in our church, there's talk about First United Methodist Church Lubbock being a downtown church. There are downtown churches all across America, and a lot of them are, are struggling to be sustainable financially, attendance-wise, and so forth. That there's all kinds of other churches on the edge of town, and, and it's a long ways to drive downtown. It's easier just for people if you live 20 minutes away, it's just easier to go to the one close by, all, all that kind of stuff. A few years ago at a church council meeting, someone mentioned that, that we should build a southwest campus. That's, that would make it easier to get to. It'd be closer to my house. We should do that. We should build a southwest campus. We can grow where the city of Lubbock is growing. You know, I believe that churches should gather and meet where houses are going. I believe that if, if people are setting up houses in neighborhoods at 114th and Quaker, then we should be looking at churches out there. But I also 
believe that we have a unique role, a unique opportunity as a downtown church right here at 14th and Broadway, at 14th and Avenue Inn. And it has to do with this table right here. This small altar table. You see, this table is in close proximity of a wide range of people. Those who live in South Lubbock, like me, can drive 15 minutes and get here. It's not that inconvenient. But this table is also close enough for those who live about a mile away at Grace Campus. This table is also close enough for those who stay at the Salvation Army. This table is close enough for all kinds of people to be here. And if we only had a table on the edge of town, then there would be a lot of people who couldn't make it to that table. We have a unique kingdom opportunity to have this table right here. The beauty of this table is that all kinds of people are not only welcome here, but, but they can get to this table. One of my favorite things we do is Holy Communion here. And in Holy Communion, we all eat of the same loaf of bread. There's not higher order bread for some of us who are more important and lower order bread for the rest of us. There's, there's not any real order of who gets to be here first. I mean, if you want to, want to sit on the front row, anybody, if anybody wants dibs, these rows are not reserved. Anybody can come here. And I think that's a really good start to what Jesus is getting at when he's talking about the kingdom of God. In a world that will bombard you with its graceless and works-oriented measuring sticks, this table is full of grace. It's a table that we all come to as beggars in need of God's mercy and His love. This table reminds us that we are loved, no matter who you are or where you come from. And God's love is all we truly need. And that's the message of the kingdom. And when we begin to see that, that our worth and our identity is not wrapped up in all the ways the world wants us to think it is, when we truly begin to see that, we might stop jockeying for positions. We might stop thinking, how can I look better, feel better, have a more comfortable, convenient life for myself? And we may begin to look around and say, what does the kingdom of God look like around me? We may stop trying to move up the table and look around and see someone maybe a little bit down the table or across the table. We may not see people up the table as people to be used for ourselves, but as people who are valuable in and of themselves. We may see the people down the table not as people to avoid or simply help out to make ourselves look better, but just to value them for who they are as God's children. It's a different kind of table. We might find ourselves not caring about the table at all and being just glad that we have our place by the grace of God. 
This is good news for all of us. For the one who feels like they're, they're not worth enough in society, that they don't have enough or they haven't done enough, this table is full of grace. For the person who feels like they have done everything and they're thinking, I've got everything and it's still, something's not right. This table is full of grace. Maybe we might find ourselves caring for that person checking us out at the grocery store. Maybe we might find ourselves serving and sitting with hungry people at Second Helpings on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays in that building right over there. Maybe we would find ourselves sitting with children who are hungry for attention, who are hungry for love, and who may not know it yet, but they're hungry for God's Word at Bayless Elementary at 3.30 on Thursday afternoons. And maybe we might just find ourselves signing up for a D for eight to have one meal a month with somebody that we don't even know who they are. They might make you comfortable. They might make you uncomfortable. Maybe we're willing to take that risk. Moving toward different people. And when you find yourselves in these places, my friends, according to Jesus, you are not far from the kingdom of God. How is it that God is calling you to let go of whatever way that you're measuring yourself by in your life and to simply embrace His grace? Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that we get to come to this place of worship where we hear a message that is counter to the culture we live in, to the messages of our worth being based upon anything other than your grace. And so we come to your table today, God, knowing that it is you who has invited us to this table. We come to your table today knowing, Lord, that someday there will be a banquet, a final heavenly banquet. We want admission to that table, O oh God. And so we come today in anticipation of that table. We know this is just a small table, but we know that it's simply practice and preparation when you come in final victory and we feast at your heavenly banquet. We anticipate that day by coming to this table today. We pray these things in your name. Amen.